Romans chapter 5 is where you want to turn your Bible this morning. Romans chapter 5. We're going we're gonna to get about five verses in. In your notes, it says verses 1 to 11. Uh, but the more I studied, the more I got going, the more I realized, nope, uh, we're going we're gonna to stop at verse 5. And so the message is entitled this morning, What We Have in Jesus Christ. What we have in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you've heard this question before. If you had a million dollars, what would you buy? What would you do with a million dollars? If God just gave you a million dollars, now of course not you playing the lottery, but I mean if God just somehow gave you a million dollars right now, of course you'd tithe off of that. But then after that, what would you do with a million dollars? I mean, what would you buy? And I think most people, how many of you have heard that question? Man, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with that question? Okay, listen, most of us in our mind, I think, generally, when we're approached with that question, most of us begin inventory of things that we don't have, right? And what is it that I don't have that now I can get because, because I have all of these riches now at my disposal? What is it that I can get that I don't have right now? Or what is it that I can get that I can't afford right now? Our mind goes, generally speaking, to the things that we don't have in life. You know, if I had a million dollars, would I get better cars, a better home, a bigger home, more furniture, more coffee? Of course, you would get more coffee. <clears throat> you would buy it by the burlap sackful and put a roaster at your house. Okay. But anyways, you know, Many times in life, we tend to focus on what we don't have, and those hypothetical questions generally reveal our motive. You've seen the proverbial glass half full or glass half empty, right? It shows us how we look at life, and generally, we look at what we don't have. This morning in Romans chapter 5, I think this passage is going to teach us and remind us and encourage us of what we do have in Christ, and, and honestly, I think this morning, and, ne- and we got to break it up into two parts, but between this message and the, and the next message out of this text, we are going to learn and be reminded and be encouraged that because of who we are in Christ, we have some tremendous blessings. We have some tremendous things available to us, not because of our merit, but because of Him. And so God wants to give us some assurance over the next couple of weeks. And so let me pray We'll get in the passage, and then we'll, we'll get going here. Father, we love you. I thank you again for the time. Uh, Lord, thank you for being able to gather into your house. It is a privilege to be able to assemble with the body of Christ, and, and we thank you for that. Thank you that we can do this uh, freely, without persecution in this place. And Lord, we ask for your protection. We ask for your, your blessing, and we pray that we bless you, Lord, as we gather, as we've sung, and we've, we've lifted up your name. Now, Lord, we want to hear from your word. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit just teach us. God, I'm, I'm not uh, the focus this morning at all. Uh, you and your word are, are preeminent. And so, Lord, help us to receive it. Help us to want to hear it. And may your Holy Spirit reveal truth to us. God, encourage us in what we have in you. And uh, may today be a tremendous day of blessing for the church body. We love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Pick it up in verse 1, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. 
and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We'll pick up the next passage next week. You know, there's, there's several things in this passage that God says that we have. And, and as a Christian in the 21st century, it is important for you to focus on what you have in Christ, not what you think you don't have. And our, our mindset generally as humans is, is maybe somewhat negative because we're never satisfied. We always need more. We have to have more. We know we have Christ, but we also need fill in the blank. And God wants to remind us this morning that what we have in Christ is, number one, uh, abundant. Number two is sufficient. It, it's amazing what we have in Christ. And so let me, let me begin by point number one in your notes. If you've got notes, just follow along. Feel free to fill them in. Number one, we have, according to verse one, we have peace with God in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God in Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're saved, you ought to say amen right there because we have peace with God. Verse one says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the verse begins with the word, therefore. And a, and, a, and a principle of Bible study is that anytime you see the word therefore, you always back up a few verses or back up to the previous chapter and you ask the question, what is it therefore? And the therefore takes us right back to chapter four, where we studied the life of Abraham, who was a man that was justified by faith. In other words, Abraham is an example for us of a man that was made just as if he had never sinned, and he was made that way, made that way by faith in God's word and God's promises. He wasn't justified by works. He wasn't justified by the law. The Bible says that Abraham, he just believed God. He just believed God, and God imputed or accounted to Abraham God's own righteousness. We, we spent all of the last three weeks really studying Romans chapter 4. Abraham is our example that we're justified by faith. And then Romans 5 begins with the word, therefore. Because we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone, in the finished work of Christ for our salvation, because of that, well, the first thing that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ is that we have peace, listen, with God. We have peace with God. Now, what you need to understand this morning is this. That means that without being justified in Christ by faith, that means that prior to your salvation and prior to my salvation, prior to faith in the gospel, and without Jesus Christ, the converse is also true. We did not have peace with God. And I, and I don't know if you really understand that on this side of salvation, but I'm going to share some verses with you to make you really appreciate your salvation this morning. Because the Bible says that only in Christ do we have peace with God. That means without Christ, we didn't have peace with God. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us, the Word of God teaches us, that God says that without Christ, outside of Christ, we were the enemies of God. We were the enemies of God. And if you skip down to verse 10, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, 
much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I just want you to understand that before Christ, before you received the gospel, before you responded rightly to the gospel, the Bible says that you are actually an enemy of God. And, and I don't know if you've spent a whole lot of time reading the Bible or studying how God deals with his enemies, but it's pretty powerful. It's pretty uh, strong. We in our lost state, in our sinful rebellion that we studied in Romans 1, Romans 2, and Romans 3, listen, the Bible teaches us that because of our sin and rebellion against God and our sin, we are the enemies of God. John chapter 3, verse 36 is one powerful verse. It says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Have you believed on the Son? Then God says, you have everlasting life. You have everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, listen, abideth on him. So, so listen, this is an important principle for us to understand because you don't realize how lost you really were before you got saved. Maybe you do. You were the enemy of God. Not only were you dead in your trespasses and sins, but God looked at you as his enemy and on the receiving end of his wrath and his judgment. You say, well, I'm a pretty nice guy. You're not good enough. I'm a pretty nice neighbor. Well, I'm, you're not nice enough. I'm a moral person. I give money to charitable causes. Those are all fine and dandy. Without Christ, you are the enemy of God. And the Bible says the wrath of God abides on your life. But listen, in Christ, we now have peace with God. Revelation 14 talks about the wrath of God. And, and, and this is certainly a subject that most people don't like talking about, but if it's in the Bible, I like talking about it. Because, because when we really understand who we were without Christ, we understand what we have in Christ. Revelation 14 verse 10 says that the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And the context of Revelation 14 is those who have received the mark of the beast and they worship the Antichrist during the tribulation. I just want to use the reference to illustrate the power of God's wrath. He says, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, full strength, in the cup of his, his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Isaiah 57 and verse 21 says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace. You see, without Christ... We were not at peace with God. We were actually at war against God. And I'll give you one guess about who's going to win that war. God Almighty. And, and, and maybe we didn't realize that. We, re, we realized we were sinners and we realized our sin made us guilty. But man, we didn't realize maybe the extent of that. That God viewed us as an enemy. And God deals with his enemies. But you know what Christ did? Christ, while we were yet enemies against God, Christ reconciled us. He was the negotiating party that was able to make a peace treaty between us as sinners and God who is holy and righteous. I mean, Jesus Christ did that. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22, look what the Bible says. Paul writes and he says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Yet now hath he reconciled. How did he do that? In the body of his flesh through death 
to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Man, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. He reconciled us to God. And the way he did that was that he did it in the body of his flesh. In other words, he bore God's wrath in our place. In our place. In the body of his flesh. And so the Bible says, therefore being justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that ought to, I mean, I ain't charismatic, but that ought to make you thankful. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, when you, when you fire up the, the guitar and the drums and you sing about the goodness of God and the love of God, when you realize that you are absolutely an enemy of God, not just, not just that you were lost in your sin, but that God was going to wage warfare against you and unleash his holy righteous wrath on you because of your sin. And to say now that I have peace with God because of Jesus Christ, whoo, thank God for that. Man, thank you, Jesus, for that. Listen, once we have peace with God, and here's the key point, once we have peace with God at salvation, then and only then, can we have the peace of God in our life? And listen, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, number one, you need to settle the issue once and for all that you have peace with God. God is not trying to judge you and condemn you and, and, and convict you and destroy you. You now have peace because of Jesus Christ. You can have comfort and peace knowing that you and your account with God has been reconciled through Jesus Christ. That ought to give somebody some freedom because there's some Christians today that still live in fear and doubt and they don't have peace. They don't think they have peace with God because they've never settled this issue in Christ. We have peace with God and it's settled and the war is over and Christ won on our behalf. But once we get the peace with God, the Bible also teaches that we can have the peace of God that's a reality in our life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says this. Paul writes and he says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be full of care for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So number one, we need to learn how to pray because we can pray about everything. Instead of being full of care, we just need to take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what, we, that's what we're called to do. Look at verse 7. And when we do that, the Bible says that the peace of God, because we have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And that peace is going to keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus that means that that peace of God is a peace that passes all understanding. It, it, it means that beyond your physical ability to reason and to understand, God can give you his peace in such a way that it settles your heart and it settles your mind. And you don't have to be troubled. And you don't have to, to, to lose your marbles. <laughs> and life is crazy. Man, it is crazy. But I'm just telling you that there is a God that offers his peace. And once you have peace with him, you can have the peace of God that's available. You know, a lost world doesn't know how to understand when you can have peace in the midst of difficulty, 
and tragedy and adversity. You know, if you watch the news, certainly this week has been a, a, a horrible week of, of tragedy uh, in Texas and in Ohio and, and all the different things happening with these shootings. And, and, and listen, I, I am, my heart goes out uh, to, to those people. I, I can't understand it. I, I know that biblically the only reason that happens is because of sin. And I understand that. But, you know, there are people that are in that situation, directly affected by that, that in the midst of all of that, they have peace that passes all understanding because they understand that they have peace with God and he is the God of peace. And no matter what happens on this planet, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. I hope that's the kind of peace you have because that's what's available to you. You may be focused on what you don't have. God says you have peace with God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 says this, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called into one body, and be ye thankful. You know, that peace of God is available. God says we have to let it rule. And that's a personal choice that we all make. Does the peace of God have rule in your heart? Does it have rule in your life? You know, when Paul, God used the Apostle Paul to write so many of the epistles, certainly in the New Testament, addressed to the churches. And in all of Paul's epistles, I'm not going to give you the references, but if you go study every one of Paul's epistles, it always begins with a verse that has something that says something like this, grace to you and, and peace. Isn't that interesting? Paul writing to the church, writing to the Christians, and every epistle that he writes, it has something to do with, usually in the first four or five verses, Romans, it hits verse seven, grace to you and peace. Because the church has that. It's accessible to the church. You know, in the, in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. Romans 15 and verse 33. Paul says, now the God of peace shall be with you all. Amen. Christian, I want you to understand that one of the things you have is peace with God in Christ. And that will settle your heart. In order to settle your mind, it will nail down the, 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 the salvation in your life once and for all. It ought, it ought to settle the issue that I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And because I have peace with God, I can experience the peace of God on a daily basis because God is the God of peace in my life because of Jesus Christ. That'll change your relationships because all of a sudden the God of peace is the God of your relationships. The God of peace will be the God of your marriage. It'll be the God of your finances. It'll be the God of your ministry. He is the God of peace. And we have that. We have that. Number two, go back to verse two. Romans chapter five and verse two. The Bible says, by whom also we have. And I'm telling you, man, if you go through verse 11, that phrase, we have, shows up. And it ain't about us. But I'm just telling you, God gives us some tremendous promises in this passage we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, so, so again, the key person in this text is not us and what we have. The key person is Christ. Because by whom? By whom is the, the, the whom that is Christ in verse 1? It says, by whom also. In other words, here's something else that you have that you didn't know you had. There's more that we have in Christ. And the second thing that we have is that we have access by faith 
into this grace wherein we stand. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. So the first key point is this. Look, positionally, the Bible teaches that we stand in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's where we stand, positionally. We stand in the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That happens at your moment of salvation when you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, God moved you to a firm foundation. And that foundation is Christ. And that is where you stand and upon whom you stand. 1 Peter 5 and verse 12, uh, it talks about, uh, By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Every Christian stands in the grace of God by Christ Jesus. But I want you to understand, you know, everybody knows Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? You guys know that? For by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay. All right. Go look it up later. It's not in the notes. Positionally, we stand in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand something. The grace of God didn't just happen at the moment of salvation in your life. God wants you to have access to that grace every single day. Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, it's what we don't deserve, but we get it anyways. It's unmerited favor from God. That's a, a working definition of God's grace in our life. It's God's unmerited favor bestowed upon us. We didn't earn salvation. It wasn't something he had to give us. And yet because of his grace, his unmerited favor, he makes it available to us. Well, listen, when you accept Christ, you move from, from your sin to standing in his grace positionally. But I want to tell you, listen, practically, you still need grace every day. Do you need God's favor every day? Or, or is that something that just happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago and, and you hadn't thought about God's grace since then? Listen, you need God's unmerited favor, and I need God's unmerited favor today. And so here's the second point. Look, practically, we need access to the grace of God for daily living. Man, we need it. And if you don't need it, I'll take yours. <laughs> Man, we need the grace of God in our life. And so look, here's, here's the key thing. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7 says this. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now, now you just missed what that verse said. Because you're thinking about lunch already. Look, as ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord? How did you receive him? By what? By faith or by works? By faith. By faith or by the law? By faith. Okay, so you receive Jesus Christ by faith. Colossians says, as you received him, so you should walk in him. So if you received him by faith, how should you walk? You should walk by, by faith. You should walk by faith. So... If we were to go back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says that we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And I'm not trying to be super simplistic this morning, but I am trying to be super biblical. Without faith, you don't have access to God's grace daily in your life. You don't have access to it. 
And so the key question, you've already answered it. How, do you rece- how did you receive Christ? You received Christ by faith. And by the way, if you answer that any other way, it means that you have not received Christ. Because, because that is the only way you can receive Christ is by faith. But if you received him by faith, that's how we are to walk in him. That's how we're to have access to God's grace in our life. You see, here's the, here's, the, here's the reality that happens in most Christians' lives. You can trust God for your salvation, but you don't trust God and don't trust his word for anything else in your life. How is it that you can trust the God of this universe to save you from your sin, from an eternity damned in hell, receiving the wrath of God poured out on you? How is it that you can trust him for your eternal soul and security But you can't trust him with the circumstances of your life today. Are you kidding me? You need the grace of God today. You need God's grace today. And and the only way that it's activated in my life and in your life is by faith. It's only by faith. And so here's the key point. Look, faith is the key that unlocks God's unmerited favor of his grace in our lives. Faith is the key that unlocks God's unmerited favor of his grace in our life. And faith is not just believing something abstract. It's not just believing something, oh, if I just believe hard enough, it's going to... No, faith is believing in what God has said. It's believing what... So all of a sudden, that means that a life of grace has to be rooted in faith in God's word. And if I'm in... If I'm not in God's word and I'm not believing God's word, how do I have access to his grace? I don't. I, I don't. Does that help somebody this morning? Maybe the reason that God's grace isn't a reality in my life today is because, number one, I'm not in his word. Number two, I'm not exercising faith in his word. And yet, I wonder why God's grace isn't a reality in my life. Well, God gave you access to his grace, but the key that unlocks it is faith. The key that unlocks it is faith. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I wonder how many Christians struggle in their walk because it's not a walk of faith. Instead of a walk of faith, it's a walk of sight. It's a walk of feeling. It's a walk of emotion. And it's, sight is good. You need that when you're driving. Please use that. Feeling and emotion, I guess, are okay for some people. I'm just saying, at some point, you've got to start trusting God's word. And if you don't, the access to God's grace, well, it's behind lock and key. And many Christians want God's grace in their life. They just don't understand the prescription for it. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 says this, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Multiplied. Okay, so how many of you would like to have multiplied grace in your life? Man, listen, okay, I mean, just be honest. The rest of you don't have to raise your hand and feel guilty. If you don't want it, that's fine. But for those of us that do want it, it comes to a life of faith. And God gives us grace at salvation. And God gives us the daily grace that we need, multiplied grace, multiplied peace. It is available. We have access to it. Can you I gave you the stupid question as we began. What if you had a million dollars? You have so much more than that in Christ 
Do you even understand what is available and accessible to you in Christ? Most Christians don't. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18 says this, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. I mean, we have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit of God, God Almighty. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access, the next two words are really important, with what? What's the opposite of confidence? Doubt. Doubt. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. You know, I dare say that many a Christian falls short to understand what we have in Christ. That's why they're not satisfied with Christ and Christ alone. That's why He's never enough. That's why in addition to Christ, I must also have, and you fill in the blank, a job, a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a house, a car, a status. And yet, you don't even understand, we don't even understand what we already have in Him. When Christ is not sufficient enough, you have failed to realize what you really have in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says that we have the riches of His grace. Look at Ephesians 1 on the screen, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. So we have the riches of His grace in Jesus Christ. A million dollars doesn't even come close. Try to put a price tag on the blood of Jesus that buys us and redeems us from our sin, and a million dollars won't even come close. A billion dollars won't even come close. I mean, the riches of His grace. Well, the Bible goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, and it says that those same riches are exceeding riches. They are exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. But not only that, Ephesians 3 and verse 8 says that those riches are unsearchable. They're unsearchable. And I don't know if this is helping you or not this morning, but, but what you have access to, church, as a child of God, is the riches of God's grace, the exceeding riches of God's grace, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and you have that available by faith every single day. You know, the sad thing is, Revelation chapter 3 talks of the Laodicean church. And they thought that they were wealthy and they had riches and all these different things. And God looked at that church and said, man, you're poor and miserable and blind and naked. Because what you think you have, you don't have. And what you need, you don't have. And I have it. And the only way to get it is through me. I think Laodicean Church in Revelation 3 is, is a sober reminder for us. We need to stay focused on Jesus Christ because he has the abundance of his riches and grace. Lastly is this, we have a hope worth rejoicing over. We have a hope worth rejoicing over. And I need you to go back to Romans 5. I got like five minutes here. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse 2. The Bible says, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Hope in the Bible is never a baseless expectation. 
In other words, people would say this in our culture and context. Well, I sure hope so. I sure hope that happens. I I sure hope I get this. I sure hope I get that. That is not the biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is assurance that something is going to happen because God said so. That's biblical hope. And 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 so in Romans 5, God tells us that we have a hope that should cause us to rejoice. In other words, God is going to keep a promise, and because of that, you can sing and rejoice and praise God because God cannot lie. So what is the thing that he is, he is telling us that we have hope in? He says it's the hope of the glory of God. It's the hope of the glory of God. Well, what's that? What's the glory of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. You did ask, right? The glory of God is the glory that Jesus Christ is going to receive at His second coming. It's the glory that's due His name. Listen, it is the glory in which He was, he was uh, enveloped with from all of creation from the beginning. He is the creator, maker, sustainer of all things. And yet He put all of that glory aside to come to this earth as a man. But, oh friend, He is worthy of so much glory. And he contains so much glory. We got a little glimpse of it in the Gospels on the Mount of Transfiguration where three of those disciples got to see Jesus Christ and all of his glory on that mountain. Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, when Stephen the martyr was preaching uh, before he was martyred, but while he was being martyred, uh, he's preaching and, and the audience was less than receptive to his message and so they decided to kill him. That's a tough day at church. By the way, the Bible says in verse 55 that he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He saw the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 says says that the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, the glory of God is the glory in which God will reveal himself with at his second coming. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23, the Bible talks about the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And that city called the new Jerusalem is not going to need a sun or a moon to shine in it because the glory of God is going to lighten it and the Lamb is going to be the light thereof. Listen, that is our hope that Jesus Christ is going to return and to receive all the praise all the honor, and all the glory at His appearing. That is our hope as a child of God, that Jesus Christ gets everything that He deserves and so much more. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, that will be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and the honor and glory. When? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. Titus 2 and verse 13 says this, looking for that blessed hope. You know, God tells us where to look for that. And that, that verse, by the way, breaks down into two separate events, the rapture and then the second coming of the church. Excuse me, the second coming of Jesus Christ. But we're to be looking for that blessed hope, comma, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That hope ought to cause us to rejoice. So, so literally, you have a hope worth rejoicing in. 
That means every Sunday and every Wednesday and every time that the body of Christ gathers and assembles and you in your personal life, you have a reason to rejoice no matter what. No matter what's happening in your life. No, and, and listen, we don't have time, but, but as you go through the rest of that passage, you know, the question on the table is, how do you get that hope? How do you get that expectation? Well, he tells you, tribulation worketh patience. Now, nobody likes going through tribulations in their life and trials, right? If you do, okay, you're weird. Uh, and, and I know some of you and some of you are weird, whatever. But beside the point, nobody likes to go through those things in life. But when we go through those things, God says that that works patience in our life. I learned as a young Christian, don't ever pray for patience. Because when you pray for patience, you're going to get tribulation because tribulation is what works patience. But when you develop patience, you get experience. You live a little life. You understand that God is faithful. God cannot lie. The same God that gave me his grace at salvation gives me grace for today. And that experience is what works hope. And so in other words, you've got to grow through it. You've got to grow to it. And listen, that's what spiritual maturity really looks like. And I, and I would add, if I were writing the Bible, I'm not, but tribulation worketh patience, patience worketh experience, experience worketh hope, and hope results in rejoicing. Hope results in rejoicing. And man, listen, the Bible says that hope maketh not ashamed. And I don't have time, but if you were to study that phrase, not ashamed, first mention will take you all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2, when man, Adam and Eve, had a perfect fellowship with God, perfect communion with God, perfect relationship with each other, the Bible says in Genesis 2.25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And God says, if you'll grow in the way that I want you to grow, and you, you will go through this progression, well, you'll end in hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. It's just like going back to the garden and having true fellowship with God. Close your Bibles this morning. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, the most important question is, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? That means that you're born again. That means that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't have peace with God, please understand, you can have it today. You can have it today. God wants you to, to settle the issue of your salvation to reject his offer of salvation means to continue to make war against God. And he'll win the war. The wrath of God abides and will be played out in every sinner's life. And so listen, if you don't have peace with God today, you can settle the issue. You can put your faith and trust in Christ and humble yourself. The second thing I would ask you is, if you are saved, do you realize that you do have peace with God? <laughs> do you realize you have peace with God? Man, do you realize... That the, 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 the consequence and the wages and the, and the judgment against your sin is finished. It's dealt with. And because of that, not only do we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God every single day. Every single day. The second thing we've got to consider is that grace of God. The access that we have available to it. And listen, I think... I think we understand grace at salvation. I think we forget it after that many times. And God wants us to access that grace by faith every single day. It's available. It's available. 
We just have to have enough faith to believe God's word. All right? And then lastly, we have to hope in rejoicing. And, and that will play out every day in our life. We've got a reason to rejoice. The Lord's coming back. He is our hope. He is our blessed hope. We're looking for his glorious appearing. And uh, our God keeps his word. And so no matter what happens in my life, no matter what tribulation, patience, no matter what experience I'm going through, I can have hope and I can have rejoicing. All right, let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father, I do thank you for the morning. And, and Father, as we...